This morning, I'm continuing the series, as Richard said, on origins. Uh, John kicked us off, and Neil spoke on the origins of humanity last week. If you missed any of those, I can recommend going onto our website and listening to the podcast. So, work and rest is the subject this morning. Affects all of us. And... I'm going to read the last verse of chapter 1 and the first three verses of chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. And God has at this point, the work has been done. So looking at verse 31 of chapter 1, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Well, in my opinion, I I know that sometimes uh, High Wycombe comes in for a bit of stick, and there was a survey that got done a few years ago saying that High Wycombe was one of the worst places in Britain to live. But I totally, totally disagree with that. I think actually High Wycombe is a nice place to live by and large. Not perfect, like, but neither is anywhere else that I've been. Various reasons I like living here. Obviously, my family are here, and I'm committed to the church here. But it's a nice environment, too. I find there are good transport hubs around. It's not far if you want to get to the airport. It's easily reached, things like that. There's very good schools in the area. We're surrounded by beautiful countryside. It doesn't take long to get out of the town into the countryside. Lots of nice places you can visit around here. Beautiful countryside. And because of all those things, though, it does mean you, that it's quite an expensive place to live. So, for example, having looked up uh, uh, one of the housing websites, a semi-detached house will set you back on average £350,000. Now, that's a, that's a huge amount of money. Gulp of breath. Even a two-bedroom flat behind us here in West End Road last month, that would set you back about a quarter of a million pounds. So it's not cheap. And if you're renting, uh, prop- average property rents in High Wycombe are over 1,100 pounds per month. So it's not a cheap area to live in. And if you live in the suburbs of High Wycombe, it's even more expensive than in the town. Well, I think this in turn, it means as pressures come upon us in working in a two-parent family, Often both parents are working. No doubt if I asked for a show of hands here, there'd be quite a few hands went up. I know it was true of Joy and I. For many years, both of us were working full time. So there's additional pressures if you're parenting alone. Additional pressures for you. One income coming in. It may mean having more than one job for some of us. So doing long hours to help bring in the money. In addition, in our society... There are pressures, there are targets, there are deadlines to be met. You know, and in my lifetime, and no doubt in your lifetime too, there's been a huge leap forward, if you like, a huge advancement in technology in order to make our lives easier and simpler. The internet, smartphones, emails, uh, all that kind of stuff designed to make life a bit easier. But one of the things it does do is it increases our availability. Even recently, I was on holiday abroad, and I received emails from the office. I was once on holiday 
in a very remote part of the world, really remote. And one of the friends I was with, he had his phone and he spent a huge amount of time. Phone calls to work and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of pressure on us today. We don't seem to have time to stop. If we're not careful, work can crowd out life. In addition to that, our society, our culture is 24-hour. 24-hour banking, 24-hour shopping, 24-hour eating, and so on. Despite the fact that we've got you know, fairly low unemployment in our country, about a million and a half people are unemployed. So again, there's that fear of losing the job and the pressure that that can put on people to perform, to demonstrate your worth. Now, people need time to catch their breath. I wonder if that's true of you. You know, even retired people, when you say to them, how's life? I don't know any retired person who doesn't say to me, I'm so busy. (laughs) It's true. And looking after the family, you know, when do we have time to catch our breath? On the other hand, in the UK, the leisure sector has increased hugely. It's worth 117 billion pounds. Eating out, uh, going to the cinema, in-home entertainment, video games. The leisure industry has really increased. However, sometimes we can try to squeeze our leisure time into our busy schedule and it just makes us even busier. One more thing that I have to fit into my busy schedule, my leisure activity. And I've got two-hour slot and in that two-hour slot, I'm going to do this. Is that rest? I'm not convinced it is. Having leisure time is not necessarily the same as the rest the Bible is talking about. In addition to that, there's a feeling that our identity and our significance are wrapped up in our work. That our achievements define who we are. So for example, I'm a doctor. I'm a cleaner. I'm a lawyer. I'm a gardener. It's what I do rather than who I am that can shape our sense of identity. And our identity should be defined not by what we do or by what the world says, but by what the creator says. I love that simple song that we sang this morning. You're a good, good father. And I'm loved by you. Now, I want that truth to burn deep within my heart. I want that truth to help shape my identity. You're a good, good father, and I'm loved by you. Work and rest. God sets a pattern here. It's designed to sustain us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Here are the origins of work and rest. Verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. I'm going to start with work here. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So a lot of work had been done. We can read about it in the beginning of Genesis. How was God's work done? I think this is a helpful question to ask. I'll explain why. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 8, a personified wisdom speaks about God's work in creation. This is what it says in verse 30 and 31. When God was creating, wisdom says, Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. So what does that tell us? 
It tells us that in God's creative acts, not only was it done in wisdom, but it was done with a great sense of joy and delight. So when God worked, he did it in a delightful, joyful way. I was thinking about this as I was sitting by the seaside recently, sitting on a beach, looking at the waves, listening to the sea, just looking, there were people surfing, so just sitting there, I was watching what was going on, I was thinking about how did God create the sea? What was in his thinking when he created the sea? What was in his mind when he created the sea? So I began to verbalize out loud what I thought he was thinking. So allow me a little bit of poetic license. Obviously, we don't really know what he was thinking, but allow me some space here. This is what I imagined. I imagined that, um, as the Lord was thinking of the sea, he said, I know what. We'll use the moon to control its movements. We'll make it sparkle like a jewel and foam and never be silent. It can reflect the light as well. How about that? And change color. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it can be a brilliant blue, sometimes golds and orange, sometimes almost black. We'll make it different from the other water. Let's make it salty. And we'll put creatures that can breathe underwater. And we'll put some creatures that need to come up out of the water to breathe. Let's make some that, I know what, they can jump out of the water. And some of them, they're going to look as if they can fly out of the water. And let's make some so multicolored that even Picasso had wished that he painted them. Let's make ones with teeth and ones without. Let's make some in the shape of a horse. Let's make very tiny ones that you can hardly see. You need a microscope to see them. And let's make some really big ones that you can't avoid seeing. That will be amazing, won't it? Let's have them live in huge families called shoals. Let's have some that have eight legs. And why don't we have some that can squirt out ink? And let's make it very deep as well. So it's so dark that nobody can see anything. And that they're hidden down there. I know what we can do. We can give some of them a personal light of their own to guide them. And let's make it so that humankind can enjoy its wonders. But never really tame it. And then son, you can go. And you can walk on the water. And you can show that only you can master it. Now, that's my poetic license. But I think there should be at least a measure of joy. There was a huge joy and delight, I believe, and I think the Bible confirms this, in God's creative acts in his work. And I think this. I think there should at least be a measure of delight in the work that we do. Now, you might say to me, okay, but what does, doesn't it say in the Bible that it's going to be painful toil? Yes, it does. It says it in chapter 3, verse 17. Doesn't it also say that by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work? Yes, it does in chapter 3, verse 19. And agreed, in most jobs, there are going to be a greater or lesser elements that we don't like. Interesting enough, as I was writing this, two people popped into the office five minutes after each other, a few minutes after each other. And as I was chatting to them, I said, was talking about their work. I said, do you like your work? Do you enjoy your work? First person said, yeah, I really love, I love it. In fact, is what they said. I love it. I said, well, that's good. I said, are there any elements that you don't like? They said, yes. I said, what are they? They said, I don't like it when people are rude to me. And then they began to explain why people were rude and what went on. Okay, understand that. Second person came in. I said, talking about their work. I said, do you like your work? I said, yeah, I do like my work. I enjoy it. I said, oh, that's good. I said, is there anything you don't like? They said, yes. I don't like it when people are rude to me. 
And, and then they say, oh yes, and I don't like the long hours either. So is there toil in work? Yes. Are there stressful points in work? Yes. Are there things we don't like in work? Yes. But should there be an element that we do? Is there should be an element in which we give our all to what we do? Is there a sense in which there should be a joy and delight in, what, in the provision that the Lord has given us at that time on that occasion? Yes, definitely there should be. I expect that when biblical Joseph was falsely accused and thrown into prison, again, my perfect license here, Joseph's innocent, he goes to jail. What's he going to say to the jailer? What do you think? Ah, well, I imagine he's going to say this, I'm innocent. You know, I I never did it, I shouldn't be here. What do you think the jailer's response to him might have been? I've heard that before. (laughs) If I had a pound for every time I heard that, I'd be as rich as Pharaoh. Get on with it. I don't expect that Joseph, in the morning, enjoyed slopping out. If you don't know what slopping out is, then ask someone later on. Okay? No, clearing out all the human waste. Wasn't a fun job, I expect, living in a dungeon in an ancient Egyptian prison. And yet, there was something about how he did his work that impressed the jailer. And the jailer put him in charge of everything, and he didn't have to worry about it. How about you? How do you do your work? Paul, the apostle, tells us in chapter 3, verse 17 of Colossians, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He further says in verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And by the way, this was said to slaves among other people. What does this have to say about how we should do our work? Let your light so shine before men, Jesus said. What does it have to say about our attitude in our work? Are we a moaner and groaner? Are we known as a moaner and groaner? Or do we bring something? Do we reflect something? Even just a little fragment of who Christ is to the world in the way that we do our work. Work hard and do a good job. Otherwise, there'll be little satisfaction, I would suggest, in what we do. Yes, there's toil in work. But God ordained work before there was toil. Before the fall of mankind. God ordained work. In chapter 1, verse 28, one of the things that the Lord tells Adam and Eve to do is subdue the earth. Subdue the earth. What does that mean? In other words, bring order to it. Cultivate it. Create a great civilization. You know, I love going on holiday. I love being able to just sit by the pool and chill out. But the first human beings weren't simply designed to sit in a deck chair sipping cocktails all their life. Fun to do that now and again, but to do it all the time, I don't know. God's ordained dignity in work. And I, think, I always think that, that sometimes we can look at people and think of their job as not significant. But actually, there's a huge dignity in work. God uses work to provide for all our needs. Let me give you some examples of that. The farmer who goes into the field and sows wheat or sows rice. Those people who go into the tea plantations... And they pick off the topmost leaves and put them in a basket behind them. How many people had a cup of tea this morning? Or will probably have one sometime today. Just have a raise of hands. Okay, well, tea pickers. Dignity in work. The van drivers who deliver shopping. How many people have shopping delivered here? Raise your hand. Okay. 
Um, those who stack the shelves at supermarkets, those who collect our rubbish. You know, it was in the 1970s. Many of you may remember that. A lot of you probably don't. In the 1970s, there was a bin strike. There was a strike. Uh, I can't remember all the ins and outs of it. I think Ted Heath was prime minister at the time. And uh, the rubbish just piled up, piled up, piled up, piled up. Thank Jesus for those who collect the rubbish. There's a dignity in the work that people do. The paramedics who turn up in an emergency. Who's been in a situation where they've needed a paramedic? I certainly have on more than one occasion. And it's a dignity in work. The bricklayers and carpenters, the software engineers, dock workers, entertainers, fitness instructors, scientists, carers, politicians, yes, and even tax collectors. Work is God's way of caring for and bringing order to his creation. Obviously, I'm not talking about work that goes against God's moral principles, but that which is in line with his moral, moral principles. Work is not a bad thing, and how we do our work matters. How are you doing yours? Who we are will reflect how we do our work. Which brings me on to the idea of rest now. Work and rest. So what does it mean to rest? Yes, we need regular times of physical, emotional, and spiritual refreshment. Sometimes we may need to do nothing. We need to sleep well. Not always easy if you work shifts or you have children who wake you up at night. Do you have time out? Is there someone who will tell you, you need a break or you're going to burn yourself out? But having said all those things, which I do feel are needful, it's not simply going on a nice holiday, although it may be. It's not simply going for a round of golf, or it may be. It's not simply chatting with a friend or doing nothing, although it may be. It's not simply watching a film with a bag of popcorn, but it may be. It all may be a part of it, and I'm in favor of those things. But biblical rest is something profounder than that. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God rests from creation. Why? Why did he rest? Well, his work was complete. It was ready for humankind to benefit from. It was finished. His work was finished. Six days in Genesis, God had finished the work. God rested. Where else in the Bible have we heard about work being finished? Jesus on the cross. It is finished. All that Jesus set out to accomplish had been done. Our sins can be forgiven. We can receive new life. We can know peace with God. Where do we get it? Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can do all the leisure activities in the world. You can sit and do nothing. You can stare at the TV for five hours or watch all the Lord of the Rings in one go and still not have rest. It's profounder than that. Jesus says, come to me 
and I will give you rest. I will give you a profounder rest than you have ever known before. Very interesting on that video that we watched earlier. The lady who came in full of anxiety, full of depression, full of problems, finding no way out at all. She walks into the building and God gives her rest. Something happens in her heart that only Jesus can do. Come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. Follow him. You know, we're faced with many pressures and temptations in life. Materialistic pressure, for example. You know, the advertising industry bombards us with what we need to have in order to make our life better than it is now. Your life won't be complete unless you have this, the latest, the so-called best. And that can put pressure and stresses upon us if we follow that route. It can put pressures on us either because we have the wealth and we must have it, but we actually need a bit more than we've got now, because what does it mean to be wealthy? It means to have more than you have now. Or we don't have enough and we think, I want more. And that puts pressure on us too. But Jesus told us, follow me. Follow me. Because as you follow me, I'm going to bring things into your life. And actually, the ultimate example of pressure and stress was what Christ experienced. And of course, that, that was the occasion as well where Jesus was in the boat in the midst of a storm. A horrendous storm. And yet Jesus was at rest in the midst of the storm. Something profounder that Jesus offers us. And Jesus also says, as you follow me, he says, watch out and guard yourselves from every kind of greed because your true life is not made up of the things you own, no matter how rich you are. So that's the answer to the materialistic pressures of life that we face today that if we go down that road, we just put ourselves under more pressure. Four years interest-free credit. Yes, okay. Maybe a good thing. I'm not saying it isn't, but it means you've got to keep paying it for four years. Do you need it? Jesus says, your life is profounder than what you possess. Jesus is the Lord of rest. We can have rest in Christ. What can we have rest from? We can have rest from guilt. We can be forgiven for the things we've done wrong. We can be forgiven for the good that we have failed to do when it was in our power to do it. I'll give you rest from that guilt that can be like a heavy burden. We can have rest from fear, freedom from the fear of death. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night? Do you ever consider and think about your mortality? I do sometimes. The ancients, when I say the ancients, not that ancient, say like the Tudor in the Tudor period, maybe four or five hundred years ago, when they did paintings, one of the things that they would often do is they would put a skull in the painting. There's a very famous painting in the National Gallery that the artist Hans Holbein did of two ambassadors. You may have seen it. And it's got a picture of a skull right between them at their feet. But he's done it in such a way that it, you have to look at it from an angle to see it correctly. Why did they put those kind of things in the paintings? They did it in order to remind us of our own mortality. Occasionally I think of my own mortality. How am I going to die? It was very interesting this morning as well, sitting in the meeting and singing some of the worship songs and people talking about freedom. And I was thinking, actually, the ultimate freedom will be when I die. 
that will be the ultimate freedom because I won't have this body which often you know, wants, to, wants me to go that way. When the spirits say, no, 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 go that way, I'll be freed from that. So Jesus can set us free from the fear of death to give us that rest. Jesus can set us free from insecurity. And we sang this morning again, I'm welcomed into God's family. And Jesus says, you know, build your house by following the things that I tell you to do. And when you build your house following the things that I tell you to do, then you'll be like the man who builds his house on a rock. And when the storms come, the house will stand. Why? Because it's built on a firm and solid foundation. But if you hear what I'm telling you to do, and then you just ignore it and don't do it, you'll be like the person who builds a house on the sand. And then the storm comes, and what happens? The house collapses. Come to me, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. Follow me. I will bring good things into your life that will strengthen you. Does that mean that we'll be free from problems, free from stresses, free from temptation? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that we will enter into a profounder place of rest in Christ, knowing that our security is in him. My times, your times are in his hands. And nobody else's ultimately. Free us from anxiety. Are the things that you're anxious about. Let today's own trouble be sufficient for today, Jesus said. Why are you worrying about tomorrow? Let today's own trouble be sufficient for today. And today, what I'll do for you, I'll give you grace for today. I'll show you my kindness today because you're living in today. Follow me and I will give you rest. This is the kind of rest that the Bible is talking about. It is finished. Jesus has done it. So I don't need to prove myself to you. I don't need to prove myself to anyone. You don't. I don't have to please people. It doesn't mean to say I'm a, you know, I can be rude and obnoxious. I'm not saying that. That's not the gospel anyway it's about loving your neighbor as you love yourself but it does mean I can rest in Christ's love for me Jesus has achieved for you Jesus has done it it is finished we have to trust that and God is with you God is for you it is finished you can rest in what Christ has done You can experience a godly contentment. I don't have to prove that I can. Jesus has done it. I can rest in who he is. I can rest in what he has done. I don't have to keep saying yes to everybody. That puts me under even more pressure. Why do I do that? Why do I keep saying yes when I know that I should have said no? Maybe I should have said no. It's because there's an anxiety within us about acceptance. Jesus says, no, I accept you. I've done it for you. I can free you from that anxiety. Are you able to rest in what Christ has done for you? It's not an indifference to others. It's not an excuse for laziness of thinking or acting. It's an inner rest and a sense of security that comes from knowing and following Christ. It is finished. God finished his work. Six days, finished. Jesus came, did his work on the cross. It is finished. Are you resting in that profound truth? It is finished. Are you resting in the fact that you're completely and utterly accepted by God himself? Are you resting in the truth that he is your loving heavenly father?
Are you resting in the truth that no one can snatch you out of his hands? Are you resting in the truth that he is with you wherever you go, whatever situation you're in, whatever you're going to face in your life, God is with you. Can you rest in that truth? Can you rest in the truth that Jesus says, I will give you grace for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Rest in my grace today. My security, my identity is no longer defined by the role I play on earth, but by Christ's finished work. I'm now a child of God, born of the Spirit of God. What did you have to do, by the way, what did you have to do with God's initial creation? When God was creating, what did you do? You did nothing. When God created in the six days, what did I do? I did nothing. I did nothing. I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I did nothing. What did I do in Christ's recreation? When he came and he walked on earth and he died on the cross and he sacrificed his life and he shed his blood, what did I do? Nothing. I did nothing. God finished his work in creation and now he's finished his work in recreation. It's the gift of God. And God says to each one of us this morning, come and follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow in my steps. Hear my word. Listen to what I am saying to you. Put your feet in my footsteps. Hear my word. Put it into practice. It's very interesting as well that we were talking about freedom this morning. And as we were talking about freedom, a scripture came into my head from Psalm 119. I think it's Psalm 119, verse 45. And I'll look it up very briefly here. And what David says is this. He says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Do you want rest? Do you want to know that rest? Jesus says, come and follow me. Seek my precepts, if you like. Follow me, and I will give you rest. A profounder rest than you can ever know through playing a round of golf, or going to the gym on the treadmill, which is what I do, or going on holiday and sitting on a beach. Jesus says, I will give you a profounder rest than that. A rest for your soul. Whether you're a homemaker or a hairdresser, a bus driver or in business, whether you're a carer or a carpenter, a student or in sales, who you are will determine how you do your work. You're in Christ. If you know him as Lord and Savior, you're accepted, you're forgiven, you're welcomed and loved. So let's seek to do a good job and reflect him to the world. Yes, it's important to take time out, to have breaks, to do things that refresh you. But it needs to be done from that relationship with Jesus where we come to him and learn from him and follow in his steps. Come to me. Maybe somebody here this morning, it's the first time you've really been touched by that invitation and you think, yeah, I want to do it. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Now, for those of us who've been on the road for some time, the same thing still applies. Come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Follow me. Hear my words, put them into practice, and as you do, you will find that you enter into a a more deeper sense of rest because you will know the love of God, you will know the acceptance of God. You know what it is to have your house built on a rock 
And when the storm comes, and they will come, your house will stand. What do you want in your life? Where do you want your life to go? Come to me, Jesus says, and follow me. Amen.